Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In today's episode, I want to discuss something that's linked to the previous episode. The previous episode was around how to deal with the situation where the client asks for proof of the strategy. Today, I want to focus on what happens if the client demands more analysis. Now, again, the client should not be demanding analysis in the workshop unless something new comes up in the workshop that needs to be analyzed and you as the partner and the team discusses, you know what? This wasn't something we looked at before, but we think we need to look at it. That's fine. Then it's not difficult, right? For example, let's assume you do the entire workshop. The client likes everything, but they say, you know what? One of the things we need to consider is X. We didn't cover it in the workshop, but we need to look at it. If you as the partner and the team agrees that this is worth looking at and you hadn't looked at it because it was out of scope for some reason, then it's okay to go ahead with it. But let's look at a situation where you are doing the pre-presents correctly and the client looks at something you've put on the table and they say, hey, you know what? We think you need more analysis here. It's fairly common, right? I've certainly experienced that at all levels when I was an analyst, when I was an associate, when I was an EM, principal, director. Clients in pre-presents would ask for things. Even at any time of my career, any time of an engagement, sometimes clients ask for a lot of information. So here, when a client asks for more analysis, people respond in different ways. I am going to firstly talk you through how people respond. And then I'm going to talk you through how to move forward on this request. Because there are different ways to move forward and they all have different outcomes. And there's only one correct outcome here. Well, first, when someone asks for different When a client asks for more analysis, I feel that I've seen different responses. One is, some people say, okay, you want more analysis? Fine, we'll do it, but it's going to cost you more. I feel these people are not interested in the client. They're just interested in selling more hours, aka billable hours, aka generating more fees from a client. You must never consider the fee structure. It's not important. You shouldn't, if you are asking the question, hey, are you willing to pay for it because we'll do it? That's wrong. You should be asking yourself whether this is useful to the client. So there are a lot of people out there, and I understand there are pressures you have to meet targets and so on. But honestly, if you sell a client something they don't want, you will get away with it maybe now, maybe the next client, maybe the third client. But at some point, if that becomes your operating philosophy, you're going to be caught out by a client who is never going to trust you because you're simply doing work they don't need. Your default shouldn't be, should the client pay for it? The default should be, does the client need this? Now, this has happened to me in so many sessions and so many meetings with clients that it's very easy for me to tell you how to deal with it. So when a client asks for more analysis, the first question is, is the analysis necessary? If the analysis is not necessary, you don't do it. And I'll show you how to figure it out with a client whether it's necessary or not. If the analysis is necessary, then you do it. So now the the issue becomes you're sitting with a client, they want to do more analysis. 
how do you figure out if it's necessary or not necessary? Right? Forget about the fee structure. If it's necessary and it's part of the scope of work, you need to do it. When I say part of the scope of work, again, I know different firms use different terminology. Scope of work is, is it necessary to solve the original question? If you as the partner messed up the analysis required to solve the key question, but this new analysis is necessary to solve the key question, then the firm needs to bite the bullet and eat the fees because you incorrectly designed the analysis and the client has pointed out a mistake in terms of analysis that should be done that you haven't done. Now, there are other firms out there whereby they define scope of work not by the problem being answered, but by the activities of work. So they define act scope of work by these are the 10 analysis we're going to do. Any other analysis needed, we're going to charge you for it. I don't like firms like that. I think they are mercenary in their behavior. Because when you go to a client and you say, hey, we're going to do a market sizing analysis and it requires 10 pieces of analysis. If you sign off on the analysis, you can change it later. Here's the problem with that. The client doesn't know what is needed to do a market sizing assessment. They don't know. If you're making a client sign off on the activities, you are not being accountable for solving the original problem. What, what I've been trained to do and what good firms do is they say, this is the problem we're trying to solve. We'll figure out the analysis needed to do that. We think it's going to cost roughly so much. But if the, anal the analysis may change, the fee structure is likely not going to change. So if the work is needed, if the analysis is necessary and you should have known it as a firm, but you left it out, you should eat the costs. That's the right thing to do. If you're a firm, on the other hand, that defines scope of work not by the objective function, but by the list of activities done, then your business model is different. And you will charge the client for the work, but I think you shouldn't be doing consulting work. Because you're passing the accountability to the client. You're telling the client, look, this is the work we're going to have to do for a market sizing assessment or a market entry assessment. Do you agree? The client doesn't know. The client can't know what to agree to. The client only knows we want to know if we need to enter the market or not. That's all we need to know. We don't know what's required to answer the question. You need to tell us what's required. But what these consulting firms do, they'll say, well, you agreed to it. You want new work done. It's going to cost you. And I think that's wrong. Because you're making someone who is not qualified to agree to something, agree to it, and then you hold them accountable for something they cannot be held accountable for because they don't know better. That's terrible. I've seen that many times in all fields. It's very common in the IT services business. Very, very common. Whereby clients don't know the technical requirements. The consulting firm signs, gets the client to sign up on technical requirements. But the client's not qualified to do that. The client knows they want a problem fixed. Not whether X analysis or code needs to be written. But let's go to the crux of it, which is, Let's assume now we're in a meeting. So imagine you're in a meeting with a client, the energy study, and the client says, you know what? We need to do an analysis to figure out how the value chain operates in countries where we don't operate, but are compatible to us so we could see what is likely to happen. They want to do a sort of a compatibles analysis. So let's look at another more developed economy than us to see where the value chain is gone. And therefore, we can see where our value chain is likely to evolve. So the client raises this. Now, so imagine this meeting, and the client says they want this analysis done. 
my mechanism is I never tell a client no or yes. I say, okay, that sounds interesting. Let's think about how we're going to use that. So I'll say, okay, so let's assume we've done this analysis. Let's assume the country you think is a good proxy for being few decades ahead of where this energy market is, is um, let's say, I don't know, let's pick one. Let's say Italy. Italy is about three decades ahead of where this Middle Eastern country is going to be. And you want to do an analysis to see the structure of the value chain, to see where the profit pools lie, because then you are going to say that if the Italian market has gone in this way, this is where our market is likely to go. So now let's ask ourselves, how would we use that information? How would that information make our analysis better? And the client will probably say something along the lines of one of two things. They'll say, X, well, we think by identifying how the Italian market will evolve, we can figure out which profit segments of the value chain will be most lucrative and we can build capability for those segments. Or the client could respond in Y and say, well, you, the consultant, you tell us how to use it. Either way, let me explain to you how to handle this, right? You have to first determine if the analysis is necessary. Don't just say, well, we don't want to do it because we're not going to be paid for it. That's bad consulting because the client may be right. The analysis may be necessary. You have to figure out whether it's necessary. So let's assume, let's lay out the sequence of steps. So the way I do it is I'll tell the clients, okay, for this to work, we have to do a couple of things. One is we have to identify a country that is similar to our own. But then we also have to identify an electricity sector that's similar to our own because you may have a country that's similar to us 30 years in the future, but the electricity sector may be very different, right? So Italy may be similar to us in every other way, but the electricity sector may be very different. So do we identify a country that's similar to our own or a sector that's similar to our own? Let's assume we've decided we have to identify an electricity sector similar to our own. How our sector will be in 30 years. That means we have to make a judgment about how our sector is currently going to evolve. And we have to make a fairly good assessment to say that it's going to evolve in this way to look like this country in 30 years. So what you're saying is that if we could identify the sector that's similar to our own country, if we could reasonably determine that our country could evolve in this way, we could then say that if distribution is going to be a big profit pool, we should invest in distribution. Okay. I think that's not implausible. It could be done. But let's look at some small differences here. One is that there is a lot of work taking place right now because the country is running out of power. Your parent company is most likely going to have to build power stations. In fact, that's where your strategy is taking them. So that the need you have is different from the needs of a country which may have a similar electricity sector. And your needs are immediate. So even if your country may evolve to look like a certain country in 30 years, we have to organize the business to respond to needs over the next 5 to 10 years. And those needs could conceivably be different from where the country is going to be in 30 years. So I agree, at some point, we have to develop the skills to be where we're going to be in 30 years. But here's a trade-off. Is that necessary to know now, or should we spend time figuring out the needs in the next 5 to 10 years? Because it's most likely the needs in 5 to 10 years are going to be different from the needs in 30 years. And what would be the point of knowing the difference? Are we saying that the company 
can prepare for both needs, the needs in the next five to 10 years and the needs in the next 30 years? Does the company have the resources to split itself in that way? Would it help us in some way? Or is it more logical to say we can attack the needs in the next five to 10 years and in the ensuing years before the 30-year horizon, reorient the company to prepare for the 30 years? So I'm happy to do both, but I would see in that it would make more sense to focus on the immediate needs because we have enough time to focus on the needs further away. Do you see what I've done there? I did what all good consultants do. We don't ask the client how to do the analysis, what they're looking to find out. We ask a very different question. We ask ourselves, what would we get when the analysis was completed and what value does it add to us? Now, this is an important skill. This is one of the reasons I became a partner so quickly. Because a lot of consultants, when you give them work to do, they do it to the best of their ability. You ask them to go out and do a benchmarking exercise, they'll do it to the best of their ability. A good consultant who thinks like a more senior person doesn't do the best benchmarking analysis. They ask themselves, why am I doing the benchmarking analysis? What would I get out of the benchmarking analysis when it was completed? And how does it help the client? If the client's trying to figure out X, is the benchmarking analysis the best way to do that? Is there a better analysis I could do? I remember very clearly, and I discussed this in partnership. I didn't have the best first three years in the firm. Some studies were good, some were bad. But there was one study which I was doing for a transmission company. And I didn't have a previously a very good study, but I went in with a clean mindset that I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be accountable. I don't care who the partner is. And actually, it was the partner who trained me. I'm not going to do something until the value is clear to me. And he wanted us to do the analysis in a certain way. But I thought about it very deeply. And I figured out there's actually a better way to do this. And I remember going to him and presenting my new approach. Now, at the end of the day, we ended up doing a hybrid of my approach and his approach. But I remember how impressed he was. You know, he said that most consultants, they don't think about why they're doing something, whether there's a better way to do it. They just do the best version of that. But I had went out there, figured out a better way to do it that was more suitable to the client's needs. And I presented that. That's the mentality you need to have, the mode of operation. If a client wants more analysis, it's not about how to build them. It's not about whether you have capacity. The question is, does the analysis add value? Now, if you're doing a piece of analysis, or if the client is bringing up a piece of analysis you don't know about, then the deeper question is, okay, you've built an objective function, you've built a decision tree, you've prioritized the branches, you've developed analyses to test the branches. Something must be wrong in your decision tree if it didn't identify this analysis. Or it is possible that the question this analysis is answering, this analysis being the analysis the client wants done, the question this analysis is answering is answered with a different analysis in your decision tree. Do you see that? Because if you go back to the basics of how to structure studies, and we teach that in first 90 days, the M&A study, corporate strategy, which is in all of our studies, if you go back to the basics, we say that when you develop an hypothesis, there's more than one type of analysis that can test that hypothesis. It's not as if there's just one way to test it. There's many ways to test the hypothesis. It is possible that the hypothesis the client is trying to test with the analysis is an hypothesis you are already testing with a different kind of analysis. And therefore, you're just duplicating the analysis. If indeed the hypothesis the client is trying to test is different from any hypothesis you have, then the question you have to ask is, is it a valid hypothesis? 
Is it a hypothesis worth testing? Does it give you something that you will find useful? I'll go to that again. Client wants you to do an analysis. It's because they have some idea they want to test. It is possible you are testing that idea anyway in your study, but just using a different set of analyses. So go back and check that. If the hypothesis the client is testing is something you are not testing, you have to ask yourself, why? If you determine, well, the way to determine if it's necessary is to ask yourself, what would I do with the output of the analysis once I tested? Would it add any value? And if the answer is no, don't do it. But this is what I do. When a client asks for more things all the time, you have to be sharp at this. You have to be able to say, well, okay, let's assume we did the analysis and we got the answer. How would it help us? Would it help us significantly or would it just be something nice to know? How would this answer change the outcome of the study? If it wouldn't change the outcome of the study, let's not do it. If it would change the outcome of the study so fine to the future that it's not necessary to do now, then maybe we shouldn't do it now. And I'll tell you right now, this is a question that I'm asked a lot by clients. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? It's asked at every level of my life. When I'm training people for McKinsey interviews, they'll ask me, Michael, why are we not doing interviewer-led cases? I'm going for a McKinsey interview, not a BCG interview. Why are, we doing inter why are we doing cases where I am leading? This doesn't seem right. I'm wasting time. And I have to explain to them. If we did a case where I led and you followed... That means that I am prioritizing the areas for analysis. I am telling you what to focus on. If we only did cases whereby I prioritize and I tell you where to focus, what happens in a case whereby, for whatever reason, the interviewer is not giving you a lot of advice and you need to prioritize and you need to know where to focus? If you are not trained to do that, how will you be able to do that? Because, yes, McKinsey most times is interviewer-led, but what if you're dealing with someone who is not wanting to lead that day, who comes from BCG, wants to do it differently, who wants to do a more conversational case where you drive things. Can you do it? The issue is not just being able to do a case the way McKinsey does it 80% of the time, because the other 20%, the issue is how do you do a case irrespective of the approach the interviewer does? So I'm happy to do it your way, but you are never going to know how to lead. And if you don't know how to lead, then when the time comes where you have to lead, you're not going to be able to do it. Being led is much easier. It's very easy to solve a case. And I can do it that way with you, but you will struggle. Do you see what I've done there? I've explained to them the implications of doing it their way. Again, what would happen if we did it your way? What would be the outcome? Similar to what would happen if we do this analysis? What would we get out of it? If you have to constantly ask yourself, what if? That's the opposite of so what. So what is what are the implications? So what? Why are you telling me this? What is the deep insight? What if or what are the implications? So you can see I use this technique all the time. If someone wants to do something, I don't just say, well, you didn't pay for it or I want to waste time. No, you have to ask yourself, okay, is it useful? And the way to do that is to say, what if we did it? Would it change the course of anything? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. But you should do this with a client because I can show you you're going to save yourself a ton of money, a ton of time. And clients love it. They love it because you're thinking with them. I became a partner in my 20s because I was able to do that. I tell a client, okay, that sounds very interesting. Let's imagine we did this. What would happen? How would we use it? You are controlling the conversation. You are leading and guiding the client. You are developing communication skills. The client can see you thinking in front of him. The client knows you're not dismissing them. You're not telling the client, oh, I spoke to my boss, we can't do this. The client can see your thinking ability. 
the client knows you're not just chasing a budget. You're deeply thinking about the value of their suggestion. You are not dismissing it. You are internalizing it, working with it. I do this all the time. Sometimes I'm a bit clinical about it. I checked the problem and I said, okay, if we did this, this would be the likely outcome. Are we comfortable putting in all that effort for that outcome? But with a client, you may have to be more navigational. Take them through it. You do this a few times with clients. It's not that they stop doing it. They'll always do it to you. But the process of discussing this with them means you gain stature in their eyes. They can see how you think. They don't challenge you as much. Because previously, when they ask you to do the analysis, they think you haven't got something covered. But if you think this out aloud with them... They may ask you for an analysis, but it's not because they don't think you have something covered, but maybe they want to see how you think in a meeting because you add value. The process adds value to them. I've done it with all levels of clients. It is the way you handle a situation where the client wants more analysis. And I remember I learned these skills the hard way from partners. I'm sharing this with you because you're never going to get it anywhere. Nowhere else in the world except on firms consulting do we have a number of senior partners on BCG and McKinsey sharing their deepest insights, which you will not find in a book anywhere. The stuff we share here, you don't find in a book, but it's obviously logical. And if you try it, you will see it will work. And that is the true test. As always, I hope you found this useful. I hope that you understand these are easy things to learn. You just have to go out there and do it. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.